Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Well, good morning, everybody. Truly welcome to our worship this morning. We're excited that you're all here to hear God's word and um, to pray not only about the Cardinals, but about what's going on in your life. I don't think there's anything more important to us after God than our, our loved ones and our families. And that's what, that's what this series is going to be all about. We're going to be talking about the importance of our families and how God wants us to live together. You know, it's God that established families in the first place. And he's the one that gave us many loving laws and rules. But most of all, he gave us his forgiveness and his grace and invited us into his family to be his dear children. So we'll learn a lot from God about our families. And we're starting that this morning. Let's begin, as we always do, by confessing our sins, taking them to God and just uh, worshiping him through our repentance. Heavenly Father, you are holy and merciful. I come before you this morning and confess that I am sinful. I have skeletons buried in my closet, Lord. Some of them only you know about. I've disobeyed you, not just in my actions, but even in my words and also in the thoughts of my heart. I know what I deserve because I've done what's wrong and and failed to do what's good. I deserve your punishment, a punishment not only now, but even in eternity, Lord. But Lord, I look to you and to your amazing grace. I ask you for your forgiveness, Lord. Help me clean out all those skeletons from my closet and leave them at the foot of your cross. I'm truly sorry for my sins. And I trust in you, Jesus, and I pray an ancient and simple prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, your heavenly Father is merciful. When we pray that prayer, God, have mercy on me, you can know that he has already had mercy on you. He sent his son, Jesus, to be the perfect sacrifice for all my sins and all your sins. What an honor it is to tell you, just as we tell you every week, that Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross has completely forgiven you of all your sins. You are a dearly loved child of God, and you walk out of this room uh, because of Jesus, freely forgiven, fully forgiven. You are a restored child of God. The prophet Jeremiah once wrote these words. Listen to these beautiful words. This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now listen to these words real carefully. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. What a great set of words those are. Let's open up our Bibles this morning. We're going to talk about... uh, Remodeling our relationships, and we're going to do it on the basis of some rooms that that we have in our in our homes. And today we're going to start uh, with Second Corinthians chapter two, verse one. Before I read, just want to talk a little bit about the importance of this room and how important it is for us to remodel it and clean it out. You know, I think if you've ever sold a home or if you've ever tried to purchase a home, how important a closet can be or a set of closets, right? I mean, real estate 
people will tell us that as insignificant as a closet might seem to a person visiting a home, it's often one of the top three factors in whether or not a home sells. After the kitchen, sometimes after the bathrooms, but definitely in the top three. If you've ever watched any of those home shows, you'll see it time and time again. I just don't like the master bedroom closet. There are even companies today that specialize in the business of remodeling closets. You've probably seen them. That's their whole business is how to organize and remodel your closet. And how important it is for us as Christ followers to hear the importance of remodeling our spiritual closets too. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is as we prayed in our confession, we all, we all have skeletons in our closet. And whatever those might be, whatever those things are that we'd like to tuck back away from our friends, even sometimes from our family members, certainly from people that we don't know very well, and just keep out of the way the sins, the missing of the mark, the failure, the trespasses that we would like for no one to be able to see, no one to be able to know. Once in a while, we have to go in there and dig around in that closet and clean it up and get it organized. And that's exactly what we're talking about. And it's interesting because here in the book of 2 Corinthians, not just a family, but a whole congregation, a whole family of believers were being urged by the Apostle Paul to get in there and clean up their closet because they had a lot of stuff going on in that closet. If we're going to talk about families, which is what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks, I couldn't think of a better place for us to start than just to start with this, this place uh, and, and a simple concept, a, a very well-known concept, if you know Jesus, a concept called forgiveness. And that's, that's really what does the job of cleaning up our closets is to tap into this awesome forgiveness that jesus has for us that he won for us on the cross that he gained for us by living a perfect life as our perfect substitute once we tap into that forgiveness and draw down on it we're going to learn how to forgive others too even those sometimes that we've been holding long-standing grudges against so here's here's what uh, it says in second corinthians chapter 2 I'm going to start with verse 1. Paul's writing and he says, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who's left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you, will, you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your faith for him. 
The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I want you to uh, reach inside your bulletin folder. Inside there, you're going to find a little sheet called the crosswalk notes. Looks like this. You can pull that out. You know, we're going to be talking about some pretty interesting things in this series. Today, we're remodeling the closets. We're going to be talking about forgiveness and grace and moving on from, from past, from our past. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about remodeling our kitchen, talk about communication because the kitchen is often a place where family conversation goes on. Uh, After that, we're going to be talking about remodeling your family room. What are some things that God has to say about our our parenting? And then finally, we're going to go where Crosswalk has never gone before. We're going to talk about remodeling your bedroom. And we're going to talk about what does God have to say about sex? You know, sex is all around us. And it's a topic that often does not get addressed in churches. But God, just just like this past series about money. Sometimes we wonder, does God really have a whole lot to say about our wallets? Well, we learned he did. We're going to learn that he also has some pretty interesting things to say about what goes on in our bedroom. So we're going to run the whole gamut from uh, sex to communication to forgiveness, what we're taking today. I just want everybody to be forewarned. We're going through the entire house to try and get it remodeled. So, So here we are today, and we're going to be talking about some things and, and I'm forced to really talk about a word that isn't very popular in our culture today. It's a little three-letter word, and it begins with the letter S, and I bet you can guess what it is. It's the very thing that creates the need for forgiveness to occur. It's the word sin. And when we're talking about remodeling our closets, you know if you go into your closet, well, maybe I should say if you go into my closet, you're going to find some stuff in there that that has not been used for a long time. And sometimes in our closets, we just stuff things. Um, Even our pantries and our fridges are, are forms of closets. Now, if you go and dig back into the back corner of the gun fridge, you're going to probably find a few things back there Julie's not here. Good. I can, I can reveal this honestly. That might be a little moldy. We try to clean it out periodically. I don't want to gross you guys out or anything like that. But, but honestly, you know, if you, if you are a weekend warrior, let's be honest, boys. You, you throw that sweaty old stuff in the back of your closet, and it begins to smell pretty moldy after a couple days, doesn't it? And see, that's exactly spiritually what we're doing, too. When we take sin that's going on in our lives, and instead of confronting it and dealing it with, it with it openly before God, pulling it out into the light of day, that sin, in this very real spiritual sense, begins to mold in our lives and get worse and worse. And Satan gets a hold of us, and he starts to draw us into his dark, disorganized world. And that's why we want to start, even in our family lives, with understanding that sin has a huge impact. And one of the things that we have to deal with openly is is the idea that sin is real, 
It's real in our family lives. And, and, and what it does, what it does to our relationships with our spouses, to our relationships with our kids. We're going to talk a little bit in a little bit about how in the Bible and even some studies have shown that sins can get passed down from generation to generation. And there, sociologists uh, have theorized about a five-generation rule. That the things that I'm living out today, you know, nobody, maybe five generations from today, nobody's going to know that Jeff Gunn was a pastor of Crosswalk Church. But some sociologists believe that five generations from now, my great, 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 however many great grandchildren are still going to be dealing with some of the sins that I'm dealing with because they're going to get passed down from generation to generation. And we do see that in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? I'll, I'll bring up a study in a few minutes. So this is why it's so important for us, even though it's difficult to bring up the topic of sin. I want to start with just talking a little bit about what sin really is. Take a look at what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you to, in particular, notice some words here. He says, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, for if I grieve you, what is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? Let me tell you a little bit about the story of what's going on here. Paul has written two letters to the Corinthians. And in fact, some scholars theorize that there may be another letter even beyond this one that, that did not get saved. But what's clear from the two that we do have is that Paul had to deal with the Corinthian congregation as a family that were bearing a lot of sins in the closet. And if you read through 1 Corinthians, you'll see them all laid out. There were factions and strife. Uh, they were treating, mistreating one another, even in worship, at the communion table. Uh, there were people that were so angry with one another, even in the Christian family, that they were bringing lawsuits against one another. It was kind of just a bad, bad situation. And in particular, there was one gentleman, you can read about him in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, who was living a sexually immoral life. And the congregation was afraid of confrontation. They, they were tolerating this happening. And, and they were just letting this guy go on without letting him know that what he was doing was sinful and wrong in the sight of God. And I think that's so key. And not even so much because the sin in that case happened to be sexual immorality. Could be any sin. I think you and I know that even in today's world, confrontation is something that we don't like to engage in. It's so hard. So hard to face someone honestly and say, look, dude, what, what you're doing, the Bible's clear on this point. And, and it's just flat out wrong in the sight of God to do this. We, we shy away from that kind of accountability because in the back of our mind, we're saying to ourselves, well, what if that comes back at me? And, and we all know as sinners, it certainly could come back at us. Or, or, or we're saying to ourselves, well, there are things that are much worse than what that person is doing. And we, 
we have one sort of justification after another inside of our own hearts and minds to not do what Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to do here and to not put ourselves in the position of pain and grief that Paul was going through. After all, in today's world, who of us needs extra grief and pain, right? And so we shy away from confronting things that we know from the word of God are wrong. And that's exactly what was happening among the Corinthians. And obviously, this did cause some pain, this sin, and and all the sins between Paul and this congregation, this family of believers. And that's why he says in verses 1 and 2, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. Would you circle that word distress? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you. That you would all share my joy. And then he says it again. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Here's the very first reason why we have to talk about sin. Whether it's taking place in a congregation like this one at Corinth. Or whether it's taking place in our own homes. And why we can't bury it back in a closet somewhere. Because just as Paul is saying here, sin causes distress. Sin creates anguish. And notice how Paul is saying at the very outset here, look, I am backing up from coming to you right now. What's gone on between Paul and this congregation because of these sins? Not just the sexual immorality one, the factions, the strife, the anger, the grudge holding the selfishness and the greed, all of those, the whole array. Paul's saying, I can't be there with you right now. Sin creates separation. So so you have it. We have to confront things that will create results and consequences like those that we just read about. The anguish and the grief and the distress and the separation. And the Bible makes it clear, by the way, that this is not just something that that creates distress and anguish and separation between us. Take a look in your crosswalk notes. Look at what it says in Psalm 53, 3. This is God. And, and, And it's expressing his feelings. When we're, when we're greedy, when we're selfish, when we engage in sexual immorality in our lives, when we lie and deceive, when we split relationships unnecessarily. Look at what he says. Everyone is turned away, and you could supply the words from me. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And, and look at what he says in Isaiah 59 too. Your iniquities have separated you. See, that separation doesn't only occur between us 
and uh, between one another, but from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's why we can't bury sin in a closet somewhere and not get to the point of knowing God's forgiveness. Look at, uh, look at what Titus says. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasure. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. See, the story of what was happening in Corinth, if we're really honest, can sometimes be the story of what's happening under the roofs of our homes. Because that whole array of sin that was present in that congregation, that's part of who we are now as sinful people going all the way back to Adam and Eve. So the very first part of remodeling the closet is just like you would do if you went into your own closet to remodel it today. It's to go in there and look around with honesty. What's in that closet that I need to get rid of? What's in that closet that smells? What's in that closet that is old and musty and taking up space and doesn't need to be there any longer? And that's what we need to do spiritually, too. We need to understand that, that when there's stuff, spiritual stuff, between us and the other members of our family, we need to get in there. We need to, we need to face it down. We need to acknowledge it. We need to be honest about what, it's, what it is and what it's doing. And that's what I want to talk about next. Not only what it does, but what it actually is in the sight of God. So our first point today is if we're going to remodel our closet, we have to see what sin really does to our families. It causes distress. It creates anguish. And it will separate us from one another. That's what it does. But what is it in the sight of God? What is sin really? Have you ever encountered a situation in your family where a person was hurting you and they didn't want to acknowledge that hurt? That this thing, whatever it was in your life that was going on, every day it was kind of filling your mind and that other person was kind of walking around oblivious to the fact that they were, it was like they were jamming a hot knife by, by their wrongdoing into you every day. And they're like, no, 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 no. Not even noticing what's going on. Ever have that happen? Right? And then maybe you even try to draw it to their attention. Hoping that they can see that what they're doing is destroying the relationship that you have with them. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's your parent, a grandparent. I don't know. We can all probably think of situations like that where destructive, hurtful things are going on and one person just doesn't get it. A person with a quick, quick temper says, well, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. I got to tell you what's on my mind. A person with a, with a greedy heart says, well, you know, look, <laughs> I grew up with too little. My parents could never provide me with anything. So now, man, I'm going for it. And I have this job and I can buy what I want. I'm going to buy what I want. 
I don't care what you think. And they blow right past your, your feelings. It could be like my dad, who, as much as I love him, struggle with alcohol. And his justification was, you know what, I work hard every day. And at the end of the day, if I want a little time to just go and take the edge off my day a little bit, that's what I'm going to do. If I don't happen to get home to play with you until 10 or 11 o'clock at night, well, you need to get your bottom to bed and get to sleep because you're going to school the next day. He didn't understand. He didn't know what he was doing was hurting me, hurting my mom. We all go through that. You could be like the person, maybe not in the closet, but in a dark room somewhere, looking at pornography, just saying, you know what? I'm not hurting anybody else by doing this. Why is this such a big deal? Who am I hurting? And all these things are buried in our closet. And we're justifying them, and we're minimizing them, and we're not realizing the hurt and the pain that we're creating. You've been there, and so have I. I can tell you, just on that last subject alone of pornography... How many wives have sat in my office saying, it's just so tough because I feel like even though it's a picture, he's being unfaithful to me. Being unfaithful to me. Men, that's what you're making your women feel when you look at pornography. That you are being unfaithful to them. And you can say all you want, I'm not hurting anybody. You can say all you want, that it's just a picture. But we have to to face down the things that God says are wrong in our lives, and we have to face them head on and realize what they are. Take a look at what it says in Psalm 53.3 again. Remember I read that just a minute ago? Everyone is turned away. God says when you sin, when you do things that I say in this book, are not right, and they're not right for you. You know, God is not just saying, look, I'm angry and I'm offended. You know where it really goes deep down is? It's not only that it's not right for him, a holy God. He knows that it's not right for you. That when we engage in unrepented sin, we're in a self-destruction mode. Self-destruction. And God loves you so much that to watch you walk down a path of self-destruction, humming your way down that path and going, I'm not really hurting anybody. This is all okay. Man, it hurts. It hurts God horribly. They've all turned away, he says. They've together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Wow. That's God's feeling about your sin. Sin is corruption. Corruption literally means something is eating away at you, right? When you, when you stick fruit somewhere and it begins to mold and, and shrink and shrivel, one word for that is that that fruit is being corrupted. When you leave a piece of shiny new metal outside and it starts to rust and get eaten away, that's corruption, And you all know what that term means if you think about some of the politics that are going on in our country today, right? 
And God says, when we do these things, we are being corrupted and we are engaging in corruption. Go on to the next passage. Who can say I've kept my heart pure? I am clean. Circle that word clean. Clean and without sin. So do a little logic here. If without sin equals clean, what is with sin equal? Dirty? Filthy? Nasty? That's what... That's what it looks like to God when we sin. And it doesn't matter if it's a, a sin of action. You, you heard me before, and you, you were in your mind with me before when I said, God, we've sinned against you in our, in our actions and in our words and even in our thoughts. To God, that's all just garbage. It's filth. Sin is filth. And that's what it really is. So often we, we substitute another F word in there, don't we, in our minds. Because Satan's whispering stuff, right? Sin is fun. And we start thinking about the, the, the things that we like to do that are sinful. Our old Adam starts to generate. And, and we convince ourselves that sin is fun. God says, if it is fun to your sinful nature... That fun's going to last about that long. And then you're going to realize that sin is nothing more than filth. Last point. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough? Sin is like yeast. You put a little bit in, and it starts to spread. My word for that is sin is insidious. You know what that word means, insidious? It's slowly... That's important to know. And subtly, meaning you can barely see it, harmful and destructive. Sin, like yeast, will spread before you know it. We see literally dozens of stories in the Bible that show the destructiveness the garbage-like qualities of sin, that it is filth, and the insidiousness of sin. But as I mentioned to you before, we can see it in our world today, too. Frosty Bivens is a seminary professor at the seminary that I attended. And he wrote a paper about the minister's family life and prayer life with God and how those two connect with each other. And as he was doing some research for this paper, he, he came up with some interesting things. I'll read his conclusion after I, I, I read this first part. He, he writes, in 1874, the New York Prison Commission employed Mr. Richard Dugdale to visit state prisons. Dugdale was surprised to find criminals in several prisons who were not only related to other prisoners, but were all descended from the same family unit, that of a, more, a man born in 1720. So this guy was born in 1720. Dugdale is visiting the prisons 150 years later. Many of his relatives are connected in this system of New York prisons. The study was subsequently expanded to include 1,200 of Max Jukes. This is the fictional name of this guy. They hid his real name. Of his descendants, 1,200 of them. 
as well as the sharply contrasting family of Jonathan Edwards, who was a New England preacher of the day. So they studied these two families. Nearly 1,400 descendants of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards were charted. So you got 1,200 of this, of this family that's in jail. you got 1,400 of the preacher. And the findings, he says, confirm what sociologists have called the five-generation rule. How parents raise their child influences that child along with, now this is scary stuff, it is for me, the next four generations. How we raise our kids today influences them, and the study shows, the next four generations. Here's how the rubber met the road in these two very different families. Study of the descendants of Max Duke, the fictional name they gave this guy, who's a real guy. It's just a fictional name. The study of his descendants revealed 300 convicts, 27 murderers, 190 prostitutes, 509 alcoholics and drug addicts. And a study of the descendants of Jonathan Edwards revealed 430 ministers. 130 lawyers and judges, 99 college professors, 13 university presidents, 60 physicians, 11 congressmen and governors. Now I want to tell you why um, this is so scary. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, every man is a quotation of his ancestor. Every man is a quotation of his ancestor. If you study the gun family tree, I look a lot more like Max Juke than I do Jonathan Edwards. I may be a preacher today, but my family tree does not look like Jonathan Edwards' family tree. I can tell you that right now. It's scary to think what my parents gave to me and what I, in turn, have given to my children. Now, by the grace of God, I I will tell you that I'm very proud of my kids. But here's what we spiritually know. This isn't some sort of genetic thing in the traditional physical genetic sense. But it is spiritually true, and we know this from the Bible, that sins get passed down from generation to generation. In fact... We're still living out the sins of Adam and Eve thousands of years ago. You can buy into this study or not. In fact, if you get on the internet and study and, and review that study, you'll find some people that, that, that junk it all. But what, what, what we can't refuse to understand and believe is what the Bible teaches about this. And that is that we are going to pass our sins down from generation to generation. It's going to happen. So what about that? Here's why it's so important to understand what sin is and why it's important. Because once we understand the quality of sin, that it's insidious and it's garbage and it's filth, that it's corruption, we can take all that to Jesus Christ. And as amazingly powerful as sin is, there is no one and nothing more powerful than Jesus Christ and his love, his mercy, his grace, and his power to change lives. And I, am, I for one, 
am so grateful to know this guy named Jesus who can take a family tree like mine, who can take a family tree like yours, and he can change it by his grace. He does change it. In fact, it's better to put it in past tense. By his perfect life in your place, by his death and perfect sacrifice on the cross, by his resurrection to a new life himself, he has, past tense, he has changed everything for you and for me and for our families. Now let me give you something real practical out of this. When you're prepared to face the brutal facts of what sin does and what sin is in your life, now you're ready to clean out the closet. You're ready to take your stuff to Jesus. And he will accept it from you. He will. He'll accept it all, and he will change your family. The practical thing I want you to start doing every day, and the Bible says this goes back to your baptism, is connect baptism and a habit, a routine, a ritual of daily repentance, of going to God, you, your spouse, your children together, and saying, God, we messed up today. We know what sin is, and we know what sin does, and we, and we bring it all to you. Would you clean it up for us? Would you help us organize our closet, please, Lord? You see, this leads to our final point. You know what sin is now. You know what sin does. But I want to make sure as you leave today that you know for sure what sin really responds to, what sin really responds to. And this is our final point. You know, we fear confrontation so many times. But here's what's so clear. When we're ready to walk into that closet and and face down what's really in there and drag those skeletons out, those sins out, God's going to help us reorganize. He is the best reorganizing of closets company in the whole entire world. And he has two tools that he uses. Very simple tools. The first is truth. Sin responds to truth. And this is what we've been talking about up till now. Sin responds to us getting in the closet of our hearts and to just honestly and truthfully admitting what's in there. And, and sin, by the way, responds to truth also in our family lives, right? I know that we're afraid of confrontation. I'm afraid of confrontation. You think I love to go home and go, okay, I'm going to get a, uh, an argument started with my wife here, right? Now, I would recommend this on a day like today. Wait till after the 4.30 game, okay? You don't have to dig in today right during the Super Bowl. Although I would say... Wives, that might be a way to get your husband's of attention. If you've been struggling with that for a little while, just stand in front of the TV and turn it off for a few minutes. You'll have his full attention. Might not be the best approach, though. But what is always the best approach is to be open, to be authentic. And and guys and gals, If we can't be open and authentic and genuine with our own spouses, with our own children, with our own parents, 
you got to know something is wrong. And start to deal with that. If you need to, if you need to come in and, 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 and talk to me, talk to a counselor, get somebody else involved, get your growth group involved, whatever it takes, stop shying away from that authenticity and that honesty. Sin responds to truth. Talk to each other. And most of all, most of all, lead your family to talk to God. Now, guys, I got to say something special to you. The Bible is very clear about this. Very clear. You men, you men are the spiritual leaders of your families. If you're here today and you are a Christ follower, God calls you to step up and lead your family daily. Also in this activity called repentance and facing up to the truth. You're called to that. Ladies, if you're here today without your husband, I know. I know it's not easy. It's tough sometimes to to function and not have your husband be the spiritual leader of your family. My own mom dealt with that. So I, I have tremendous compassion and love for you who are who are christ followers and women who don't have that kind of spiritual male leadership in your family but god still challenges you too and and you're up to the challenge in the strength and power of the holy spirit given you by god to lead your families to repentance you can do it god will help you this church will help you so you too step up There might even be a few kids in here who just happened to come by like like I did as a teenager and who don't have a family that are Christ followers. Then in that case, you might only be 12 or 13 years old. God calls you to the same thing. Step up, be the spiritual leader in your family as best you can be with humility. Sin responds to truth, but here's what else sin responds to. Sin responds to grace. I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians. I want you to look at at what happens here. We talked about the distress and anguish of the heart and and the tears and the grief that Paul talks about. But now, go back got your bibles let's look at second corinthians chapter 2 verse 5 or pull out your crosswalk notes and listen to what paul says five and beyond he says if anyone has caused grief he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent not to put it too severely the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him this gentleman has been led to change his mind, to understand what his sin was. And now what is Paul saying? Stop kicking him when he's down. Stop heaping the guilt on. It's enough. Verse 7, Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Do you realize that, it, that if, if a person has accepted responsibility and they're sorry for their sin, that if we just keep kicking them and guilting them, we can literally drown them in sorrow and guilt and shame. 
Paul says, knock it off. If, 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 if they've repented, if they're sorry, now forgive the way you've been forgiven by Jesus. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, even Paul from a distance says, if you forgive anyone, well, so do I. I forgive him too. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Remember those times when you were a little kid and you did something that really hacked your parents off and they scolded you. They grounded you. They put you in time out or they did whatever they did to make sure you knew that they were really, really displeased with you. Remember those times? And then remember, hopefully you had parents like this. Remember when they would finally call you out of the bedroom and say, timeout's over. Have one last little talk and say, do you understand why I was upset with you? Maybe in some cases they'd even say why what you were doing was so dangerous. And remember how... If you were like me, now, I'm a guy, I hate to admit this, but you would cry. And you would say to your mom and dad, I'm sorry. And you really feel that in your heart. And your mom or your dad would just give you a great big hug. And say, honey, I forgive you. It's all okay now. It's in the past. It's over. Let's go forward. And that hug, even if there weren't words along with it, gave you all the encouragement that you needed to say, we're okay again. You see, that's what Paul's telling us. Even as grown-ups, that we have to do for each other. Because we're, we're all sinners. We're all, we all make these mistakes. We all fall short and miss the mark. Whatever word you want to use for sin. We all have closets filled with the garbage, in short. Closets that need to be cleaned out. And at the end of the cleaning, when we get things right with one another, forgive one another and give each other a big hug. Let that person know, the person who hurt you, that you're no longer holding a grudge against them, that you love them and do exactly what Paul says. Reaffirm that love for them because sin also responds to grace. And when you put those two together, you got the most powerful closet cleaning tools that exist. Truth, facing up to the facts and grace and forgiveness. Re-embracing the person that has hurt you. Remember, that's exactly what Jesus does for you every day. He gives you a big old hawk at the end of the day, and he says, I know you sinned against me today, 
but I also know you're sorry for what you did. Come here. I love you, buddy. I love you, sweetheart. You're my son. You're my daughter. Nothing can come between you and me. That's what Jesus brings to the table. Take a look at your crosswalk notes one last time. Here's some next steps. Will you commit to confronting the situation in your family's spiritual closet? What sins are you hiding back there? And what is hindering you from remodeling your closet? Let me tell you, I put this message first in this series for a very important reason. I think if we're not committed to remodeling our closets, if we're not committed to repentance, truth, and forgiveness, the rest of the rooms are not going to get cleaned up. They're not going to get remodeled. It starts here with the closet. Number two, use the tools, truth and grace, that God gives you to remodel your your closet. Truth and grace lead to repentance and true life change. And finally, memorize and meditate Romans 5, 20 to 21. Look Look at this passage. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. You know, the more we see God's law, sometimes the more we want to break that law. But look at what it says. But where sin increased... Grace increased all the more. That's talking about God's grace toward you. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness. Grace rules, in other words, to bring you eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you first and foremost that you've already in reality, cleaned out our closets. You did that when you lived a perfect life in our place. When you died, that, that, that death on the cross, it was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That was, that was all that we needed, really, to clean out our closet. Now, Lord, put faith in our hearts. Put faith in our hearts against all the lies of Satan that would say that God could never forgive us not for the things we've done. And, and, and let us truly trust that your grace will increase no matter how big our sins get. And your grace will always cover us. Your grace is just that, undeserved love. We don't have to do anything to earn it, Lord. Convince us of this fully in our hearts. Lord, drawing on that grace now, I pray for these people that are sitting in here hearing this message today, that they will hear these words of Paul and and put truth and grace as remodeling tools in their closets. Help them to take these tools home today, Lord, and iron things out in their families. To be willing to look at themselves first, dig the log out of our own eyes first, Lord, before we check out the splinters in other people's eyes. And to truly, to truly work to admit our sins, to ask for forgiveness, and to move forward together in our families. Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.